very quotable, but made a statement that you see on, I've seen it on t-shirts and on posters. He said, when I help the poor, they call me a saint. But if I dare ask why are they poor, they call me a communist. When Columbus came to this country, found it, uh, although somebody was already here, uh, it wasn't long after that a complete conquest occurred of South, Central, and a good part of uh, here in the U.S. by the Spanish and the uh, Portuguese conquistadors. <clears throat> and with them came the missionaries and uh, converted, you know, virtually the entire continent, South America, Central America, and they weren't just Christian, they were converted to Roman Catholicism. And for a few hundred years, the Catholic Church could claim the, this is our territory, religious-wise. Um, a couple things happened uh, antecedents to uh, liberation theology. There are many things happened, but uh, just a couple I'll point out. Uh, one was uh, the, uh, during the, a strange thing happened during the middle of World War II, the Pope, uh, Pope Pius XII, issued an encyclical uh, about scripture. And what it said was Catholic scholars can now start studying scripture in a scholarly way, the, kind of the historical uh, critical method that uh, Protestant scholars have been doing for uh, you know, 50, 75 years. Uh, and join the modern world in this regard. Well, I, I grew up Catholic. Uh, we had a Bible in the house, but it was uh, leather bound and gold leafed and uh, very heavy and uh, you know, it was there, but I don't think uh, anybody read it. It was, it was too heavy to read, <laughs> to carry. But, uh, and, and this is very typical of Catholics. Uh, uh, traditionally, uh, the Gospels were read to them every day at Mass in Latin, and uh, there were a lot of Catholics that didn't know Latin, by the way. Uh, but uh, that changed something, but it took a long time to really... Uh, sift down to the, the people. Another thing happened was uh, during about the 1950s, uh, it became aware that uh, all of South and Central America was not Roman Catholic. Uh, they were losing it. And uh, the uh, Protestant missionaries were coming in, the uh, evangelicals, the, the Mormons, and just general disinterest. And uh, so something had to be done. And uh, this again was Pope Pius XII. A, a campaign pumping missionaries into Central America, South America, from uh, Europe, uh, US, Canada, and uh, Ireland, for instance, had just more priests than they knew what to do with. Uh, I was in the seminary in the the late 50s, and the seminaries were packed, and they were very selective of who they chose, and I you know, felt honored. Uh, 
But this happened. A lot of priests, nuns, and lay workers were going down and uh, working in the missions. at this time, I, I went in the seminary. I studied to be a priest. Uh, I didn't get into scripture. Uh, and of course, the, the person that I would have had if I had stayed longer was, uh, had been teaching scripture for about 40 years. I'm sure that was really up to date. But uh, I got married, started a family, and I got in the FBI. I mean, this was a, a crown achievement. I got in, and, I, and I, my degree I got from the seminary was, uh, I say, uh, I majored in medieval philosophy and I minored in Gregorian chant. It <laughs> didn't give me a lot of qualifications, but, uh, but I got in the FBI. And I found out soon after, though, that uh, part of Hoover's genius, uh, he was very bigoted himself, but he loved... Uh, Catholics, the Midwest and the East Coast was almost all Catholic. The South, the agents were all Southern Baptists, and out West, uh, most of them were Mormons. And, you know, I say the genius, these are loyal, they, they uh, family-centered, they hate communists, uh, you know, and I'm one of these. Uh, and, uh, you know, if ordered to drive your head through a brick wall, if it's a direct order, you, you, you do it. And uh, Hoover knew this. Uh, I uh, was out, out east, uh, I worked organized crime. I, I did a credible job. I, I uh, did upstate New York. We had a little mafia family. And finally, though, I got my transfer back to my office of preference. Uh, Peoria had a resident agency. Springfield is the division that covers all of downstate Illinois. But they had uh, better designs. I had this reputation fighting organized crime. They put me in East St. Louis. And I was really upset because uh, they also had an opening here in Peoria at the same time. Uh, but I dug in and worked there and uh, worked in East St. Louis mostly. And uh, I was one of the few agents in the office uh, that worked in East St. Louis, by the way. Uh, we had moved it up the hill to Belleville, uh, a bedroom, all-white community that overlooked the all-black community of East St. Louis. And, uh, I mean, just the geography uh, is astonishing. Uh, I would go down there during the day and uh, stir up trouble. I'm trying to help. Uh, you know, there's a lot of corruption, a lot of uh, police corruption, brutality, uh, uh, organized but mostly disorganized crime. And then at five o'clock I zip up the hill uh, and the people that I'm trying to get to help me have to live with the people that are uh, victimizing them, uh, knowing that uh, they're talking to me. Uh, anyway, th- this kind of weighed on me. At the same time, my, uh, my wife got into some scripture classes and uh, I thought I knew something about scripture, and I started going with her. Well, it was a, a priest that had been uh, kind of cut loose by the diocese. He was doing his, his doctoral work in uh, St. Louis University to teach, roam around the diocese and teach scripture, and he had quite a following, and he was fascinating. I started 
going listening to them, and it was fascinating what I learned that I, I thought I knew. Uh, his way of teaching, or the scripture he taught, was much like uh, those of you that uh, were here to see uh, Dr. Uh, or Bishop Spong. It was kind of the, the same vein. In fact, his name, uh, Bishop Spong's name was mentioned frequently in, in uh, Roger Carbon, was the priest, in Roger's classes. Uh, I took it a step further and crossed the river and went to uh, taken scripture courses over at uh, St. Louis University. And uh, one thing I was qualified for was their master's program with my, uh, my seminary uh, background. And so I was taking some, you know, some big league, called scripture courses, got into the prophets. And this is just astonishing to me. Uh, you know, we all heard the, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Uh, well, they predicted Jesus' coming. And that's what the prophets did. Well, you get into them, they might have said that, but they just did so, what they taught was so much richer. Uh, they were nobodies in the population. I mean, they weren't politicians, they weren't leaders, they weren't uh, wealthy necessarily, uh, but they were the bedrock foundation of what uh, the Bible was written on. Uh, these that pointed the finger at the people in power and said, what you're doing to the people down here is not right. And they were speaking with the people down there. And they named names. And uh, I mean, if you read any of the prophets, I mean, like I say, they, they pointed the finger and uh, at the injustice. Uh, at the same time, I'm working in East St. Louis and I see injustice like I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I, you know, I knew of racism and I, I bless the fact uh, my, growing up my parents did not teach me racism, to be racist. I, they were not racist. But I was part of a system, I realized that it is horribly racist. Like I say, we moved our office out of East St. Louis and the genius of the, the agent that did this, they, they kept talking about him, is he made it a long distance phone call from East St. Louis up to Belleville. Uh, and our office was kind of hidden over a, a drugstore. And I was one of the few, there were 10 agents that even went into East St. Louis unless they absolutely had to. A, a couple things came up. Uh, in one of the classes I took, they, they, over uh, St. Louis University, they brought in a, a speaker. She was a nun that had been down in uh, Peru. And she went down, this is when they were pumping the missionaries down there. And she was fascinating, talking about this, she called this movement. Uh, it was later called liberation theology, but uh, it, it, it was going on, and it's gone on in other places, but uh, usually snuffed out. Uh, that was happening, and it's kind of the theology from below. The people are making the theology by reading the scriptures to their own situations. Uh, she said she went to a, a home one day where the, a little baby had died, and this is her job to go console the parents, and 
you know, and tell them that this is God's will. And then she just bellowed down. These were her words. It's not God's will. It's the damn stinking filthy water they're forced to drink. And she told how she worked and the other nuns that were with her and to bring decent water down there. And they were criticized, and she finally got called back by her order that you're getting into politics. That's not why you were sent down there. Uh, there's a, a book I brought along. I, I won't read from it, but a little bitty book, only about 80 pages, Elsa Tamez. She's a scripture scholar from Costa Rica. It's called The Bible of the Oppressed. And I, I'm not a scripture scholar. I have taken courses, but what she does in here, she, uh, she says she's taken... There's 16 lexums or root words. When you talk about, see in the Bible, oppress, anything oppressed, oppression, oppressor. There's about 16 different root words the Hebrews have for this sort of thing. And she broke down a number of them, what they actually meant when, when uh, you analyze and, and go into where they're used elsewhere in the Bible. And... Uh, she took one, I, I remember the word was rastats. And she said, uh, when Isaiah said he released the bond to the prisoner, set him free. You know. Well, that word, is, it comes out, release the bond. You think of, set, you know, undid the handcuffs and let him run free. No, it, it means, there's other words that could be used for that. It means releasing absolutely everything that ever made that person a prisoner or a slave uh, to begin with, removing those from that person. Uh, it's, in other words, it's so rich. It's kind of like uh, the adage, the Eskimos have 22 words for snow. It's just overwhelming theme of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Uh, a little... Article I, I had, it's uh, quite old, from uh, the editors of uh, Sojourner's Magazine. Uh, it's kind of a, uh, a quiz on the Bible, but it, it starts with, Jesus addressed which of these subjects more frequently in his teachings? Heaven and hell, sexual immorality, violence, wealth, and poverty. And the answer is overwhelmingly, it's wealth and poverty. And he goes on to say, the synoptic uh, gospels, uh, as high as one out of every 10 verses, deal with this subject of wealth and poverty. And in Luke, especially, one out of seven. In other words, this is an overwhelming theme in all of scripture. This uh, oppression, wealth, poverty, uh, and that's where liberation theology picked up on it. Uh, an example that uh, this, this nun, her name was Sister Rose Iron, said, they're reading the Bible differently. It isn't being read to them, they're reading it from their own experience. They said, just for instance, you talk about the, the uh, Good Samaritan. Well, I think everybody knows that story. The poor guy is in the ditch, he was beaten and robbed. And 
these different people pass by for different reasons, <clears throat> you know, and it's pointed out to you, this could be you, you, and, or, and then finally the Samaritan, a, a real lower caste person, stops and picks him up. Well, you know, it's a good message, but somebody pops up, well, I can identify with the guy in the ditch more than anybody else. And this is what was happening. They're, they're picking up on if they call themselves Christians, then this isn't what the Bible says should be happening to us. And it, obviously, it, it started getting political, like, uh, you know, drilling wells for decent water. Well, that's not, nothing to do with saving souls. Uh, by the way, Helder Camara, the bishop I quoted earlier, uh, one of his famous ones was, challenge, your job is to save souls. And he just said, well, I've never seen a soul. Uh, a theologian, Edward Skilabex, uh, another uh, renowned theologian, although he was in a lot of trouble with the Vatican. Uh, I, I heard him talk, and uh, he's comparing, the, he says, the old theology with the new theology. And the point that the old theology just cannot understand the new theology. Uh, and he didn't use the word liberation theology, but that's what he was talking about. Uh, he says the dialogue partner of the th traditional theologian is the, the non-believer, to make the non-believer a believer. And you do what you have to do, including charitable acts to bring them up to a standard where they can accept the word and become a believer die and go to heaven. And he said the new theologian, the dialogue partner, is the poor, the oppressed. And not to make them a believer or not to get them to heaven so that they are no longer poor or oppressed. And he pointed out this side just cannot understand this side. Uh, goes into uh, the notion of Christian charity, which you know, is wonderful, and uh, the things that Christian charity does. But the whole structure of it, uh, it's uh, I do something because I'm told by the scriptures to help the poor, help the needy. And by doing so, you know, if I work two hours, I get, you know, two coupons I can put in my pocket or uh, get into heaven easier or get a better seat in heaven or, or whatever. This is wholly, totally different. You help the poor or the needy because they need help. And when they're helped, then you've done your job, not just work at it. Uh, in other words, the poor and the needy are no longer objects of your doing charity. They're actually the target of what you're trying to do. Uh, to bring them into a different state. And it, again, this gets very political if you bring it out into the uh, repercussions. Uh, there's a, a movement uh, I got involved with. I, I heard about it when I was down in uh, East St. Louis. Uh, somebody Gave, gave me the questions I was asking in these scripture classes. She gave, she gave me a 
a couple of newspapers called The Catholic Worker. It was a newspaper out of New York. They come out once a month in the corner. It said a penny a copy. And I started reading these, and, and they were interesting. Uh, the Catholic Worker Movement, which was liberation theology back in the 20s, uh, is kind of a, uh, oh, might call them a, uh, kind of a uh, troublesome stepchild of the Catholic Church. Uh, they're there. Uh, you know, we like them, but, you know, at a distance, but maybe can't be too hard on them. Maybe they're right. Uh, what, what they did was a, a woman, Dorothy Day, uh, she was a, a leftist, a, uh, she'd been communist, uh, in fact, she went to the University of Illinois. Her dad was a sports writer in Chicago, but moved out to New York, uh, uh, hung out with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, say leftist, uh, arty people, uh, writers, uh, poets, and she was a good writer. Well, this other man, uh, Peter Marin, he was a French philosopher, vagabond, who had this idea, sought her out, she had uh, just had a baby. Her boyfriend uh, dumped her, and she decided to uh, become a Catholic, try to get some structure for this new baby. And so she was uh, all of a sudden very devout convert to Catholicism. Well, this Peter Marin sought her out and needed somebody that could uh, think this out and write, and she was a good writer. So they came up with the idea, said the only people that are really trying to help the poor during the Depression uh, in, down in the Bowery in New York City were the communists. And they had their paper, The Communist Worker. So they put out a paper, and it was a play on that. They called it The Catholic Worker. And the idea was the Gospels, the bedrock of what the Catholic Church is supposed to be, is so much more radical than anything Karl Marx ever said. The same thing Elsa Tamez is saying and these others. But for convenience, they've shifted the whole thing to mean a lot other things and make the whole religious movement a kind of a noetic, airy, mystical, magic type of thing that if you plug into it, you're, you know, you're there and you're in heaven. Well, this didn't have anything to do with heaven and hell. This is what the Catholic worker was. And uh, anyway, uh, this was liberation theology before. Martin Luther King was talking liberation theology before the term was used. I mean, he, his theology rolled out according to circumstances. It was written and thought out in airport terminals and jails as he moved through the situation that he was actually pushed into because he was a good speaker and a good thinker. Uh, and that's kind of what liberation theology is. Uh, I'm, this is the way, way I'm starting to think and I get transferred to Peoria. Uh, I had seven years to go and I can retire. And uh, I started, uh, I, Started hanging out, my wife and I, down at the uh, Catholic Worker House. Peoria had one. 
It's gone now, too bad. But, uh, and rubbing elbows, the guys in the office knew it. You know, they, they started calling me Father Ryan. I'm helping the bums, that's nice. But uh, it, uh, it was interesting, and I'm in some dangerous ground, really, when you think of it. The work I'm doing, I have no problems with it. It, it should be done. It's, uh, uh, I'm not fighting organized crime. I'm kind of doing general criminal work. Uh, I call it pabbling. It's the stuff new agents are broken in with, don't like to do, talking to uh, people applying for jobs, you know, applicant work and background, and uh, I loved it. I'm talking to nice, normal people. And, uh, but uh, I have no problem with what the FBI does. I did during the uh, Vietnam War, as I think back, I didn't at that time, but that we stifled the dissent and did a good job of it, not enough though, that stopped the Vietnam War, where the whole country rose up against it. And uh, you know, we were good at it, but we got burned after the fact, and I remembered that. Uh, Something was going on, and I'm, I'm well aware now of, of history, of what's going on in the world that, uh, and I look at it from a religious perspective of these, I'd say, new eyes. Uh, one liberation theologian calls it, it's a theology of two eyes, one that looks to the past and respects the uh, traditions, but the other that looks to right now, what's going on. Uh, Nicaragua had just had a revolution. Uh, it was a violent revolution. Uh, a brutal dictator was overthrown. And uh, uh, the new president was elected down there, uh, Daniel Ortega. And the first thing he did, he put in four Catholic priests as his cabinet. And uh, this not only infuriated uh, our government, but the Vatican as well. Uh, Pope John Paul II, he was uh, from Poland, uh, the solidarity movement started in Poland and the Soviet part of po Poland, part of the Soviet Union, was trying to overthrow the Soviet government and become free. Well, in the past, other companies, countries did that and were immediately invaded and uh, it was stopped. Uh, what's happening in Central America was so threatening to the United States, the Reagan administration, and we're pumping weapons, we're training death squads here in the US. Uh, we were about to invade Nicaragua. Uh, I remember President Reagan came on the air uh, on TV and said, you know, the statement said they're in Harlingen, Texas, or in uh, Nicaragua today, they'll be in Harlingen, Texas tomorrow, that this country is going to invade the United States, and we were preparing to. Uh, there were four veterans, U.S. veterans, uh, one World War II and three from Vietnam, fasting on the steps of the Capitol to protest what was about to happen. They went about 40, 45 days or so in a hunger strike. Uh, 
I, I didn't know any of them, but I, I had read about it, and I, it's the stuff I'm reading about. Uh, Nicaragua, by the way, had uh, no Air Force. They had two helicopters. They had no Navy, and the whole country had two working elevators. Uh, but this was rising, and uh, like I say, I, I knew about it, and uh, I'm getting close to being able to retire, and uh, I'm uh, confronted with a lead I get. Uh, somebody up in Chicago was trying to promote this fast, Veterans Fast for Life, these four veterans, and they went around to uh, recruiting offices, military, and squirted glue in the locks so that the key wouldn't go in the next day and, and then put this poster on about Veterans Fast for Life, what they were doing, to draw attention. Well, somebody got their license number and they found out who they were. So Chicago Division puts out, uh, opens a big case on them. On, uh, they found one of them had been a plowshares activist. That meant uh, doing civil disobedience at a missile base. So they called it, uh, these were the targets. What do we know about plowshares activists and, and uh, veterans fast for life? But it was a case under the Sabotage Terrorism Act. And this is heavy. And we're, in other words, we're going after uh, these people that put the glue in the locks and the, the fasters. Uh, I put in a memo, I, I got a lead to, to work on this, and I put in a memo I wouldn't do it. That it's a flashback to the old Vietnam days when we were stopping dissent. And uh, anyway, ultimately I was, I was fired. I had 10 months to go, I could have got my full retirement, I didn't. And uh, next thing you know, I was uh, a hero of the other side, but uh, broke. <laughs> anyway, uh, but what led me was liberation theology and to realize that I, I have nothing to do with our policy in Nicaragua or Central America. The military is doing that, the CIA, the Reagan administration, and I think the work I'm doing is, is worthwhile. Uh, I'm kind of burned out, but it still it's, uh, makes sense. But now I realize I'm part of this oppression. I'm not oppressed and I don't, uh, you know, I'm a white male with a good job and uh, education. I'm, I'm healthy. I am not oppressed. But all of a sudden I realize I'm an oppressor. I'm trying to stop the dissent that is now comes out when we, we do these atrocities. And this is why I was fired. It was liberation theology.